Welcome to Bat Therapy, exploring your favorite comic book characters through the lens of clinical psychology. Be a fly on the wall or a bat in a cave, listening in on a friendship built out of a love for talking Batman, comics, and the everyday struggle to achieve mental health and happiness. We are your hosts, clinical psychologist Dr. Amelia Brown and comic enthusiast and nerd aficionado Keaton Hopkins. This podcast is about providing education and understanding and is not a replacement for mental health treatment or support. If you're needing help, go to bat-therapy.com for resources. All right, today we are talking Batman Damned. Yes, Brian Azzarello and probably my favorite artist of all time lee bermejo the artwork for this comic is amazing and it's really quick read it's only three issues yeah yeah it's it's quick yes you also have to pay close attention to it absolutely absolutely now one thing i will say going into this this is not a comic for kids it is it is a hard r this is black label yeah, it's DC Black Label, which is definitely built for mature audiences. And right off the bat, it lets you know, like, this isn't this isn't one for the kids. Yeah. yeah. Although, I have a complaint and a funny story with the complaint. So, okay. so Batman Damned, for those of you who know Black Label and, and know this comic, you know this is the comic where you got to see Bruce Wayne's penis. And it was <laughs> this whole thing. They made this whole spiel about it's black label, it's for adults, da-da-da-da-da. And then when people freaked out about the penis, because I don't know why, like there's, we don't care about all the violence and stuff, but heaven forbid we, you know, <laughs> see where babies come from. Right. And and so they took it out. Yeah. So there's yeah. no penis. And anyway, I was complaining with my, my friend. Um, I was at a comic book store this past weekend. I was at Austin Books and Comics. And I was complaining about this. And then... One of the workers at the comic book store, their head pops over and they go, you're talking Batman damned, aren't you? And we're like, yes! <laughs> they took away the battle-wang. <laughs> Thank you, folks. We're here all night. <laughs> I'm canceled. No. But yeah, it's a it's a very, it's a diff, it was a difficult read for me because I, my eyes kind of were all going all over the pages because mm. so throughout there is narration and almost like poetry going on along with all of the different characters dialogue. And so it made it very, very difficult for me to kind of keep track of it. But I ended yeah. up having to reread it. I, I had, I was able to reread it twice because it is a quick read. It's only three yeah issues and it tells a complete story and i'm not sure if the listeners are aware it's actually technically a sequel to the joker comic yeah i think it's like an unofficial right sequel yeah Yeah. it's like an unofficial sequel to the joker comic which is also done by brian azarello and lee bermejo Mm -hmm. and that's also what the joker movie was based off of yeah they, I don't they know pulled, if I knew that but that makes sense yeah they they pulled it from that and that's why it's such a overly dark universe and so oh my gosh Bat, just saying Bat, something for DC right <laughs> Batman damn like this might be that somehow this is the darkest Gotham I've ever seen like and it it only it only gets darker every every page it keeps getting worse but it also has some fun with it because of John Constantine Yes. 
Yeah, right. I, I, I like the John Constantine in there. You know more about him than I do. Yeah. Um, so it was a nice kind of added introduction for me for his character. Right. And so whenever he shows up in a comic with the characters that we know, like the, the, the main heroes, I always raise an eyebrow because I'm like, uh-oh, there's something we don't know. <laughs> because he he deals with everything in the spiritual realm, with the occult, anything with demons. Whenever John Constantine shows up, it's like, oh, this is not going to be, this, is, this isn't something a Batarang can fix. This <laughs> might not even be something that Superman can fix whenever he shows up. And Yeah, because one of Superman's main weaknesses is magic, right? Right. Yeah. Right. And so anytime he shows up, or like any other members of Justice League Dark, like Zatanna or the Spectre or Etrigan the Demon, like anytime any of those characters show up, it's it's something dealing with the supernatural where punching it isn't gonna work. And it's it's good that this is an Elseworld story because right off the jump, they do some things that are very very different. Yes. So the 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 story actually starts off where Joker is seemingly killed he he apparently dies after batman and joker fall off the gotham gate bridge and batman gets knocked unconscious and he wakes up in an ambulance fights some emts and then runs away before collapsing on the street and then that's when constantine kind of like finds him and saves him and i think they go to constantine's like hotel room or something and he finds out on the news that he might have murdered the Joker. And even though Batman cannot stand Constantine, he's like, <laughs> all right, help me figure this. You, you got to stay with me and help me figure this out. At that moment, everything went out the window for him. Because I'm like, if Batman is teaming up with Constantine, there's a plot twist in here. It's not just yeah. simply Constantine doesn't just solve murders. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things. And it even, like, it hints at all the weirdness from the yes. beginning because when Batman falls off the bridge, he he's wounded when he's, you know, being driven by the EMTs. And, and to be fair, they were starting to cut off his mask, and that's when he flipped out on him. And so when he wakes up with Constantine, the, the wounds he had aren't there anymore. And so yeah. there's already this kind of hint from there, like, okay, things are taking a, a spin. They actually go, of course, they go to the scene of the crime, they're investigating, and there's like a, a homeless guy there that says that he, he saw the devil kill the Joker, and then he actually pulls a Batman-level disappearance, and Batman doesn't even have time to question him. <laughs> and, and so it's little things like that that make me question the reality of the situation or what's going on, and right before you can dig into it, of course we get like a flashback and here's another big twist is the Waynes are not perfect yes. in in this they're not perfect they're not even a happy family because thomas wayne apparently is having affairs outside of his marriage with martha and and they do a good really good job of showing it too is is you yes. get it from bruce's perspective there are these kind of like hints and notions that right. things aren't perfect, that, that builds across the storyline. Yeah, and that it was interesting because you you always think about the the trauma of the Waynes. 
that Dwayne's death left on Bruce, but I never really thought about what kind of trauma something like that could have on a child. So it's not just, oh, wow, this person saw their parents die, but it could also leave some trauma. Just kids, a kid seeing their parents fighting nonstop all the time, right? So depending on on what a, what is being witnessed. So if there's like, like don't freak out if you have conflict in front of your kids, but if there's some right. sort of aggression happening where there's more of this threat to safety that a child is either a part of or witnessing, then absolutely it, it is umbrellaed under this, this idea of trauma. Uh, that being said, even though this isn't your your clinical definition of trauma, absolutely these are things that impact can impact a child, can affect how they feel, how they look at the world, how secure they may feel within their family or within their world. And once again, it's not to say that a family has to be perfect, but it is nice to see a story. It, it stood out to me when you said the Waynes aren't perfect. Yeah. There are very few stories, and they stand out, and they tend to be on the more extreme side yes. when when they're not, not shown as perfect, but no one's perfect. Right. And yet, one of the common things that, that can happen with the Waynes is they're viewed as perfect because they're gone, and they've been gone for a while, and it can be kind of, it can be a natural thing to almost have this angelic memory of, of things in the past, because That's our, our memories point. aren't perfect, so, you, so it kind of blurs the lines and so yeah that perfect picture of the waynes isn't there with this story that that's a good point whenever people whenever you get you think about the past like a lot of the times you remember the good the the i feel like you might remember the good more than the bad when it comes to people that you loved right it yeah you you a lot of times you you remember the extremes and so that's if, a good way it, to say it yeah and you're right. The kind of idea we have about a person or situation is also going to impact it. So if we see someone as caring or someone we really care about, you're right. A lot of times our our memories will more hold on to those kind of stronger emotional memories that match what we believe or or what we kind of perceive that person to be. And so it, it, it can our, our, we think of our memories as like playing back a recording and it's really not like that. And so absolutely you can ha you can end up with these extreme versions that end up sticking in your mind because of how your mind filters those memories. And so he's having these flashback memories, but when he has them it, and it was so weird when it first happened, because I was just like, what the hell is going on right now? Yeah, because it's, it's real confusing in the beginning. It's confusing and it. it's really creepy because it's like this creepy looking kid shows up and it's Enchantress. And I'm not going to lie, I wouldn't have even known it was her had I, had she not just looked like a child version of her character in Suicide Squad. Yeah, uh, yeah. And that's what let me, I was like, oh, what is she doing here? And... <laughs> throughout she she's kind of implying that batman did have a hand in joker's death and she's kind of trying to make some kind of deal with him and that that's when things get confusing because of course like batman goes to the bat cave and then he gets attacked by one of his bat suits i guess he's like hallucinating i think the way you've described it it, it really hit a chord with me yeah 
um, you've described the story as poetic. And so there's, of course, the magic that comes into play. And I think it allows the the author and illustrator to use symbolism a lot more where I think even at times it's not even necessarily the magic happening, but more just seeing these different illustrations of how these things from the past have reverberated for Bruce and for Batman across time. And it's... It's kind of a comic book. It's a comic book story, storytelling style that I feel like Brian Azzarello has a lot where the entire story will be set up page by page and you don't even know the whole point of it until the very end. And that's what this story really is. It's almost like him, Batman and Constantine are going around running errands, but you don't know what they're running errands for. And you don't it know. It does like, feel that way. You're right. Yeah. It, it feels that way because they go from character to character and every character they meet, like I said, is someone that deals with the supernatural because they see like uh, Zatanna card swindling someone. And at one point they, like I said, this, this is a very dark version of an even darker version of Gotham because at the, the one time commissioner Gordon shows up, he's just like, almost just like this city's done for there's nothing worth it why am i even doing it and uh, john constantine says something really really cool because he, he said something along the lines of don't worry there's still angels in this city like everyone isn't all bad but it's so <laughs> i feel for gordon we're gonna have to do an episode about him yeah, because because oh my gosh talk about talk about fighting a battle a constant Endurance. battle that you feel like you can't win, right? Yeah, yeah. So so the int- the most interesting thing for me in this story is, like you said, it, it, it's, you kind of, you were talking about reading it twice. That's probably the way to do it because you're right. It is like, okay, you're running all these errands and then you, you learn what it is you're running the errands for by the end of it. And so Enchantress has kind of been hinting at some stuff all along the way. And what I found really interesting about this story is there were these little gems, these little snippets that hinted at this larger uh, this 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 larger story that took place that's not actually the main plot of this storyline, but it just it talks it, it's essentially saying here's where everything started. Yes. And so it hints at how um, Bruce Wayne has just such a high expectation that yes. you essentially will constantly fail and how hard it must be to be constantly reaching essentially for the impossible. And the fact yeah. that Bruce and, and, and I say Bruce specifically because this is pre Batman, essentially in this storyline, Bruce's fear and Bruce's discomfort and distress from what's going on with his parents and mm-hmm. and the struggle to know what to do with how he's feeling within um, what's happening with them leads him to essentially make a deal, make a pact to rid himself of fear. And all of the things that happen in the current storyline are essentially the reverberating consequences of the fact that it's a terrible idea 
to rid yourself entirely of fear. Yeah, because if if you truly don't have any fear whatsoever, that's got to be a very, well, one, erratic lifestyle, mm-hmm. but also it, it makes pe- everyone around you very much afraid of you. Mm. Right? And, well... And and one thing about that too though is in this in this scenario in this comic book, people are just as afraid of Batman as mm-hmm. the villain. The the normal people are just as afraid as, of Batman as the villains are. Like every, like Batman mm-hmm. is terrifying to everyone in this universe. And you got to think like if someone had, if if you were around someone that had no fear whatsoever you're you're not afraid of jumping off that building like you're not they might be yeah they might they might right. be capable of anything right like you don't you're not afraid you're, you're consequences just go, be damned you're just gonna go 90 and a 35 right now like you don't you just don't care about anything at all like wow so right? so this is a really excellent point what naturally happens when we feel afraid especially if it's a very intense fear you'll want to get rid of it that's pretty much yes. everyone's first inclination is I don't want to feel this way. Oh, yeah. So in this story, what's interesting is is it almost shows, it, it shows a child who really struggles to handle, I think, a lot of things that in other storylines, we, we think that, that Bruce has, you know, somehow found a way to sift through. It's not that he's fearless, but he's able to kind of use and manipulate fear. But in this one, he rids himself of it. He can't figure out how to manage it in the moment. But you're absolutely right. If we don't have fear, we're missing very important information that is required to move through life effectively. Yes. Because, yeah, going 90 and a 35, it's best if you question that a little bit. Yes. (laughs) Or a bear jumps out in front of you when you're on a hike. It's best for your anxiety to spike up a little bit and for your body to react to that situation. No big deal. I'm gonna uh-huh. punch. I'm gonna punch this bear. Yeah. Right. Like you. you, like, you yeah. should probably be afraid. You should. And even <laughs> it. And some people might still go for punching the bear, but but that can still be a part of the fear response, the fear process. Or I mean, let's take everyday stuff. You are nervous about a job interview. Well, that makes you prepare yourself. Yes. So right. yeah, you were nervousness talking about... can be good sometimes. Yes, fear can be good. If we find a way to work alongside it. And, it, and if you're someone who has a lot of fear that gets overwhelming, which this suggests that a young Bruce Wayne is like, it can be a lot easier said than done. And it can take a lot to try and find that path. But, and some people are very much tempted. I work with people who they'll be like, I don't, I don't want to feel fear. I don't want to have anxiety anymore. Right. But that's, that's the overcorrection. You know, and I was going to, yeah, this is something I was going to ask you about, too, because, I mean, when we think about mental health disorders, a lot of times it's it's things that people are struggling with. But if there truly was a person that had no fear, I would almost I would look at that as a mental health disorder as well. And I was going to ask mm. you your your thoughts on it. Like if, if there if you encountered someone that just didn't have fear receptors in their body, what would that be like? What do you, what do you th- like? How would you even approach that? Hmm. Because you know, 
the fear is just it's built into a lot of our the the fundamental parts of our brain right i mean there are definitely people who are maybe numb to their fear who uh, a lot of times, for example, people might use substances. The reason, the reason actually things like alcohol, uh, benzos, or other things are just so attractive to some people is it's one of the only ways to like blot out anxiety and fear almost instantly, like with the snap of a finger. But once again, there's always a cost to the fearlessness. So often what you see is actually the the fear anxiety spikes even higher once mm-hmm. the substance is gone because the brain isn't able to kind of process through that stuff on its own. So I would say in terms of fear, I mean, there are of course very chill people out there. That's, mm-hmm. that's not a that's not a psychology term, but there are, you know, pretty laid back people out there or or folks that just don't have as much anxiety um, or fear. I, I wouldn't say I've ever come across anyone who had zero fears. Um, because yeah, I mean, that would, it would make it very, very hard to connect to other people. It w- Yes, absolutely. And it honestly just made me think about how many of our decisions are mm-hmm. based on what are the consequences we're gonna, sure. going, going to be. Because if someone doesn't have any fear, they're never going to care about any consequences, right? I mean, I, I don't know if it's as easy as that. And at the same time, I agree with you that those are intertwined to a certain degree. So I, I'm not sure I would say that a lack of fear would mean a, a person would have a lack of caring or a lack of a sense of like purpose or drive. And, you know, fear could be separate from other feelings or emotions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but you're right in that fear really has a part to play. Yeah. It helps us be more successful. It helps us be more prepared. It, it gives us information. It tells us what's important to us because right. those are the things we're afraid of losing um, or of changing. Yeah. Um, so I definitely agree with you that it would make it very hard to understand yourself and understand other people around you. And I actually, in this storyline, I mean, we don't see much of Bruce in between young child and having just fallen off the bridge. Yes. But you've got to question his ability to connect with other people and maybe even empathize if you're lacking in such a fundamental emotion. Right. I mean, yeah, because essentially... I'm not afraid of hurting someone's feelings. I'm not afraid of being abrasive. I'm not afraid of what they think of me like that. Mm -hmm. And that's the world that he's living in. And so he's, it's funny because normally Constantine is the most abrasive person in a room. Mm. Always. In this, Constantine feels like the only normal person in the room. (laughs) In, in in this story because batman is just on a warpath trying to figure out what happened with joker and i and at one point you know he's being the detective he is he doesn't think joker is dead because he sees like a, a crucifix in a church with the joker's face on it and so mm. immediately he's thinking oh this isn't there's something up with this and then another person that we haven't mentioned yet is uh dead man uh, yes, and it's funny because I feel I, I he doesn't really do anything. 
it, it he he kind of shows up and says there's evil forces at play and then just disappears he doesn't t- say who it is he just kind of jumps in bodies and it's like there's something bad going on and then he just leaves and and it it happens several times throughout yeah. and it kind of strange and it's like okay well maybe that'll come back around but in reality nope it's just him just jumping in people and possessing them momentarily to just be like there's evil forces at play and then he dips now like i said the moment constantine showed up in this i was like "Uh oh eyebrow raise something's going on here and at that point he he says hey you should go talk to etrigan the demon and i'm like oh (laughs) oh boy because so etrigan's story jason blood is possessed by the demon etrigan now you you might have remembered me mentioning jason blood before because he was the original owner of the the grounds that arkham was built on oh yeah right yeah like he was doing exorcisms on people but yeah he is possessed by etrigan the demon who isn't a villain he he's actually on the side of good but i mean still a demon and but in this of course because it's elseworlds he's just like a hip-hop artist it's 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 so weird (laughs) it's it's so strange (laughs) It that I did take pause with Etrigan, like, yeah, he's like performing on stage. It was like yeah. so random. It's so random, and it, but <laughs> it, and it, it also it's so funny because he doesn't really look like Etrigan the demon, but he, because he's a hip hop artist, he's rhyming everything the same way that Etrigan normally true. does when uh, he speaks. It's true. It's yeah. true. It is a clever way of doing it. It was. It was. And then, of course, it being Gotham, a bomb goes off and destroys the building. And then Batman also sees, and this was such a creepy image, the the bat signal shining in the sky, but it has the Joker smile mm-hmm. drawn in it. And Etrigan saves, Etrigan saves Batman, but he's like, I don't, I really don't like you, dude. Like, it, it's, <laughs> I think he again, said something along the lines of like, I only saved him so he would suffer longer. Right. Now, at that point, that is when I raised my eyebrow because I'm like, what did he mean by that? And so far, everyone that he's interacted with are people that are able to interact with the dead. Hmm. And so he said, I want, I only did it so Batman would continue to experience more suffering. And so right then my first thought, I was like, is Batman in purgatory? Like, is this something where Mm. he's in a, He's not able to solve a crime. And then after that, because so it keeps when I did the second reading, I kept noticing little clues because Harley Quinn pops up and she's super angry because of Joker being dead. And then she shows up and then they start fighting and it's like she injects him with something that paralyzes him. And then she starts like it. it it's she tends to rape him. Right. Okay, right. I, and I, I wasn't 100% sure that was what was going on, but yeah. But this is something. When she takes off her shirt, there is a Y cut yeah. in, in her chest. Like As if kinda, she's a corpse. Yeah. Yes. And I didn't know if it was like symbolic as if the saying, oh, Batman ripped her heart out when he killed the Joker, or is she actually a corpse? Mm. Um. But then Batman starts strangling her, and it's such a cool shot because in the puddle, 
is Enchantress doing the strangling, which is basically showing like, oh, whatever's going on right now, Batman is possessed by Enchantress. Yeah. And then Batman just wakes up in a coffin underground. It just cuts away and Batman just wakes up in a coffin underground. And, And that's when I'm like, okay, yeah. This is a super, completely supernatural story because <laughs> it gets rescued by Swamp Thing. Like, it's so it's so wonky because, like I said, they're just running errands. It's like, oh, we're, we're going to go and talk to the homeless guy. And then we're going to go and watch Zatanna do a card trick. And then we're going to go and talk to Etrigan. And then we're going to go fight Harley Quinn. And then we're going to go and meet swamp thing and and it's it's all of this bouncing around and you know it's like okay i'm really starting to want some answers here now if you notice at this point when you look at batman through the pages it looks like his body is beginning to decompose his Hmm. skin his his skin is darker there's like marks on his face and it's like okay what's happening here and then constantine takes batman to meet zatanna again it's I'm trying to figure out what happened because this is the point that I realized, okay, I think Bruce might actually be dead because she summons the ghost of a young Bruce Wayne. Mm. And I'm like, well, you wouldn't be able to do that if he was still alive. And it cuts. Right. And this is when it all gets really crazy because you get to see just how else worlds this is. So it takes she takes Bruce back to the alley the night that the Waynes were murdered. And the twist is not only were the Waynes shot, but Bruce, young Bruce, was mm-hmm. also shot. And he sells his soul mm-hmm. to the to Enchantress to become Batman. Yeah. And Enchantress is like, all right that's a deal and she attempts to seal her deal but then Constantine shows up and shoots her with Joe Chill's gun and that's when he begins to kind of explain like okay Bruce the the dead Bruce represents Batman's past and he's kind of he's wanting Batman to let go which is like the running theme of all Batman stories it seems (laughs) like like dude let go of the past well, and what, what was really compelling to me about this is, once again, the, this piece about fear, where, I mean, there's, there are fundamental, very long-standing parts of our brains connected to fear. So the amygdala is kind of the main place where a lot of fear um, we see kind of activate in the brain. Mm-hmm. These are very important parts of us. We were talking about how important fear is, and... What I found really interesting was the suggestion of how Bruce's strong desire to escape yes. resulted in essentially dooming himself to, to trauma and to these very difficult paths. At least in this story, it seems to suggest that enchantress is kind of like okay so so the path to no fear is your parents being murdered in front of you and the potential for all of you to die and just kind of the way it wrapped these stories of 
the loss of fear and the trauma of the the Waynes dying and how that connects with Batman um, versus even potentially Bruce himself dying next to his parents. I found that really intriguing. It seemed like essentially a a warning of of trying to completely rid yourself of of having to experience the things that that cause the hurt. And another thing that it does differently that I never really thought about before is it kind of it, it shows instead of Batman being this figure that fights crime, it, it shows that Batman is hell. It, it's, an, mm. it's like, oh, Bruce Wayne has now become Batman and being Batman is his hell because yeah. he's just constantly in this dark world fighting mm-hmm. an unwinnable or essentially his purgatory his yes like paying his paying his debt for i mm-hmm. guess selling his soul or that's the price yeah. of being fearless like this is mm-hmm. what you have to do because after that you find out that the homeless person that we've been seeing all along is the specter and the the, the specter is like this this spiritual entity that is all about judgment like his big thing Mm -hmm. is if you've done something wrong the specter will judge you for it and he shows up to judge batman so you find out that what actually happened on the bridge was joker stabbed batman and it was a fatal wound so batman knowingly let joker fall to his death because uh, i believe what he said was he was afraid of what would happen to Gotham if Joker lived and he died. Yes. Yeah. So essentially his purgatory is ending. He's shifting to his next stage. And yeah, the, the actually it almost seems like the fear coming back at the very end. Right. Uh, that, that concern about what happens when I leave if he's yes. still here and exactly that leading to toppling over or essentially I think not helping the Joker as he's falling from the bridge. Now what's interesting is in the past, normally when we see the specter, the specter has no problem with death. If you're killing a bad person or someone that can't be redeemed, the specter's just like, yep, you're helping the world. That That's how, <laughs> but the fact that the Spectre is still judging Batman for killing the Joker implies mm. that the Joker is still redeemable. Mm. And so my first thought in that was thinking, constantly we see this back and forth between the Batman and the Joker, where it's like the Joker exists because of Batman. Ah. And so I wonder if the reason the Spectre is judging Batman at this point is because if Batman dies would the Joker still exist? Mm. What would, what would happen? Right. So there's potential for redemption. Right. Of all people to be redeemed, the Joker. And there's another comic book that kind of explores that. And I, I need to, I actually haven't read it, but I've heard it's good. It's called Joker gone sane. Uh, I don't know if I've read that one. Yeah. It's called gone sane. And it, it, but it was just something that this comment, it made you think like at the very end. And so Batman 
it just kind of realizes he's been dead this whole time, which explains why his body's kind of been decomposing slowly. And he gets into one of the beds at the morgue and then disappears. And so I guess when he disappeared, I was trying to figure out if that meant that he would continue to kind of be in hell or if that was him paying his penance because mm. the specter was there to ju- to judge him and he's like you will now face judgment and so i don't i i'm guessing when his body seemingly disappeared he was going towards whatever that judgment was because we now know batman died on that bridge and so mm-hmm. everything that's happened in this comic has been after batman has died which explains all the like fast travels and randomly waking up in coffins and like it all seems like a fever dream it's because essentially it was yeah yeah but after all of that the joker's alive and comes from the river underneath the bridge well it almost seems like batman wishes him into being alive again because it's it's yeah the death is reported. Now, granted, maybe they've been reporting Batman's death this whole time, but they had been reporting it as the Joker having been the body. So who knows if that has something to do with it versus. But but, but Batman essentially, at the end, says that he wishes he had taken a different path. And he then does. from there, the Joker emerges. So he, it's... yeah. There's kind of this suggestion that that he almost willed the Joker back into existence to give him one more chance for a redemption, I guess, based on what you're talking about. Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't really think about that. That's very true. The last thing that he, it seems like he says is, I wish I hadn't killed him. Mm-hmm. And w- when we think about the concept of purgatory, it, it's like purgatory exists so that you learn a lesson and become a better person after being in purgatory essentially like you you're you're there to kind of pay a penance or pay a debt and i'm wondering if the only reason batman was there in the first place was because he killed the joker and it wasn't anything else he had done it Mm. was just that last act and it's like okay you need to get back to your no kill rule you need to get back to hey i have a code and then you can leave this purgatory place that you're in yeah and that also makes the etrigan comment make sense like i only killed you so you would experience more suffering like i'm not gonna end your purgatory like nope you're here because you deserve to be here right you're here for a reason you have something to learn well and you know i can't help but wonder about how the enchantress weaves into that as well and and so just the the lessons he's learned because it, it suggests that the start is, is in childhood mm-hmm. when he's seeing all these arguments. And actually, there's a point where he's struggling to manage what he's feeling with all of it to the point where he has a toy gun and he holds it up to his mom's head and, oh, and pulls yeah. the toy trigger. And she like turns around crying. He's like, never hold a gun up to someone ever again. Yes. And so, I mean, this is clearly a boy who's really struggling with what he's seeing and what to do with it and probably the the senses of betrayal and there's also these kind of little discussions of the fear of realizing you're not the center of everyone's universe when you essentially you're still a child but you start seeing things through less childlike eyes and so it kind of suggests like this is the start of the story of what's going on and then the end is the 
choice of wishing Joker to the Joker to still be alive and to have another chance. Yeah. And the thing and, and that's something that when when you really think about it, because at one point, I think when when Batman even goes into the morgue to talk to Spectre, Constantine like actually says, like, you need to be careful how you say things to him because Spectre takes things pretty literally. Mm. And so when Bat, I think I, I believe you're absolutely right. When he says he wishes Joker was still alive, Spectre was like, deal. <laughs> right. Like, he's just like, all right, cool. You're um, that's what's going to happen. And then it ends. And Constantine's like, this is the beginning of a new chapter. Yeah. For everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is, oh gosh, it's. Like I said, y'all, this was this was a confusing read because there was. It's a very tough one, and yeah. and hey, you guys will probably think of all sorts of things that we haven't thought of, and uh, we by no means are the the masters of understanding. There, there's definitely a lot of twists and turns, and uh, it's a tough read, but it's an interesting read, and um, like you were mentioning, it's also just beautiful, um, gorgeous illustrations in there as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it definitely is an, an interesting, and like you said, Elt World. So, I mean, this is not your stereotypical Bruce Wayne turning into Batman, doing the Batman thing. Um, but it's a, it's a nice kind of twisting of things to, to once again just look at some of the intricacies of, of being human in a way that you don't often see with Batman. Um, that would be interesting to see kind of how his Batman played out in his during his life based on these these pretty big huge differences in addition to batman constantine's role in all of this was kind of interesting because it kind of reminded me and this is going to sound funny it kind of reminded me of the ghosts in a christmas carol i could see that because he's kind of helping he's kind of helping batman get through all yeah. of this like listen like this is I'm, I'm taking you from place to place and you're seemingly enjoy like learning something new about yourself and this whole situation every stop that we make and he's his guide in the afterlife yeah yeah and, but it's also funny because he's easily the most human out of anyone that we meet in this yeah in in this story well and i could you know, actually, Constantine seems like an appropriate guide. If, okay, so admittedly, most of what I know about Constantine comes from the movie, and I don't know how much that lines up with the comics. You know, I don't know as much about him. Um, but at least in, in the movie, if the comics are consistent, so, I mean, he's essentially trying to win back his soul in a lot of ways due to, didn't he attempt suicide? Because he was just struggling with all the different things that he was seeing and experiencing with like magic and right. and just all of these other things going on in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and and I mean, you can kind of compare that to the journey Bruce was on. So Constantine kind of has his own purgatory due to his difficulty dealing with the very harsh and distressing experiences he was having. And based on his attempt to not feel that anymore, he then essentially has his own purgatory where he's trying to kind of win his win his soul back to kind of a going to heaven instead of hell. Yes. And and so a very similar 
path to what they're describing with Bruce Wayne. I mean, he seems like a very appropriate person to help Bruce Wayne hopefully come to a different conclusion. Yes. This is something I was going to ask you about, too. Because this whole story feels like it's about an overcorrection. Because, Mm. like, yeah, like, Bruce sees his parents die, and then he sells his soul to not have fear. Mm Mm-hmm. And even though the way they did it in this book, they use Enchantress as this, oh, you're literally selling your soul. But I feel like also so many times people do this and kind of make deals with themselves after a traumatic experience. Like, I'm never going to let this happen again. Like, they turn to an an absolute that mm. they they might not necessarily turn to like oh I dealt with the breakup well I'm never dating again or the overcorrection right where okay I dated this person went terrible so I'm gonna date someone who's like the complete opposite the next time right right mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I, I and I feel I feel like that's also a lesson to be learned out of this and so my my question to you is when whenever you encounter these not even necessarily insanely traumatic experiences but just like hurtful experiences what do you think is the health the the healthy way to to look at it because i I, Mm. i've been in that situation and it's so difficult right then to look at things in a healthy way it's like there's the key Mm -hmm. if, if you get bit by a dog the next dog you see, you're going to be very, very skittish, right? Sure. Yeah. Well, and what you said was key. It's very hard to look at it differently or to not have some sort of big reaction, whether it's fully jumping in both feet or fully going in reverse mm-hmm. right then. And so so that's the thing is that a lot, a lot of things in life that really pull for strong feelings, it's helpful to, like the mindful nerd moments are useful tools because they're meant to help us with stepping back. Where when something's happening and it's very intense, that's usually when we can help it, not the best time to make the big decisions for ourselves. Because like you were saying, in the moment, you're just reacting to what's there and your your body is going to gonna just do what it's gonna do based on your genetics based on your past experiences you don't always have the full capacity to think it through and really process through all the information so finding ways to take a pause to just recalibrate yourself bring the intensity level down and think through so kind of like um you were saying you get bit by a dog next dog you might be pretty cautious about it well as best you can and once again different people's bodies are going to react differently but as best you can when you come across that next dog taking in the moment okay i'm feeling something i'm having the urge to react in a certain way hopefully that dog's not running at you hopefully it's something where you have a little time to process it like someone's got it on a leash or you're walking towards someone on a path or whatnot but taking taking the moment to figure out where that's coming from is there something about this dog specifically Is it about the dog in the past? Is it a combination of the two? Because what can happen is we particularly see this with trauma. But in general, when we have experiences, especially if they pull for a very significant uh, feeling or, or it has a certain intensity to it, just like we were talking about before, those are the memories that sometimes pull for us the most, which, by the way, doesn't mean we remember them more correctly. 
They're called flashbulb memories. Just because we remember it intensely doesn't actually mean we remember it more accurately than other things. Oh, now yes. tell me, say this, flash... Flashbulb memories. Flashbulb memories. So things like um, some some pretty common examples they might talk about is uh, uh, like for a lot of baby boomers, for example, they'll talk about, I know where I was when I found out JFK was shot or Martin Luther King Jr. was shot. Mm-hmm. Um, or a lot of folks around our age, we know exactly where we were when 9-11, we found out about 9-11. Yes. Those are some some big examples of flashbulb memories where there tend to be very intense emotions and so we remember things very vividly. However, based on research, we think because we remember it so vividly that we remember it more accurately than other memories that might feel more hazy. Mm-hmm. But it's actually, it has that intensity because of the emotions that were connected to it. But it's not actually more factual than other memories. It still has its imperfections to it. And so when we have these memories um, that really stick out to us, a lot of time, whether it's a trauma or not, so whether it's something that, that risks our safety or not, what usually happens is one of two things. So we, we either change how our beliefs about things so that that situation makes sense, or we adjust how we view kind of the the details so that it fits our belief so like for example um if uh we believe in a just world we we think things are fairly fair it's a fairly safe place and someone gets assaulted so either they change their belief about the world and now the world is a less safe place or the world is a safe place but there's something about the specific people or the specific situation that made that assault happen or made that situation less safe. Right. And, and those adjustments aren't necessarily a bad thing unless it happens in the extremes. So right. you want to adjust your viewpoint based on the information at hand, but the overcorrection is when we overshoot. And we get, a lot of times we get very black and white Um, We get very inflexible in what we believe. um, And what we might notice is we get maybe more reactive to things, even when there's not really anything in that situation to suggest we need to have that reaction. It's because we're doing the overcorrection. So this person was really tight-laced and prim and proper, and we had a terrible breakup. So now I'm going with someone who like, is the complete opposite who I never know where they are. They're all over the place. They're a mile a minute. So sometimes that change is a good thing. And then sometimes it's an overcorrection. Mm-hmm. And, and so just finding that balance, once again, it just takes, it takes being able to take a step back. So when you're walking toward that next dog, you feel the, you feel the fear. Right. Oh, I feel fear. Why? Is it this dog? Is this dog doing something I need to be worried about? Based on that other dog that that bit me, is this dog doing something similar where I learned my lesson? Or is this dog not really acting like that other dog? I just, you know, really suck to get bit. Yeah, I see what you're I see what you're saying. And, you know, thinking about that, because it like you said, it's it's bad to over 
it's bad to overcorrect. And one thing that stuck out when, when you talked about assault, it's like, if something traumatic happens to you, how easy it is to be like, why did this happen? Oh, it's mm-hmm. because I was around this kind of person. Or, mm-hmm. oh, like, I, it honestly feels like how a lot of stereotypes might get started. Absolutely. Or, stereotypes. Or, pre- or prejudices, right? Prejudice, victim blaming, all sorts of things that are are not meant maliciously. But can turn malicious, don't get me wrong. These things can turn into really bad things. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, it's our brains trying to make sense of all the information. And, and at the end of the day, we, we tend to want the world to be a safe place. We want the world to, be, to make sense to us as best we can. And so, yeah, we come up with these kind of different rules and regulations and, and things to make things fit. But you're right. It is where things like stereotypes and prejudice and victim blaming and things like that can come into play if we're not careful because we're just we can just get so set on um, trying to put a reason to, to things. And unfortunately, sometimes there's just not never going to be a 100 percent reason to anything in this world from what I can gather. Very, very true. You know, I'm not going to lie to you. I think a- after reading this comic book twice i i need a mindful nerd moment today <laughs> i because this was this was a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a lot yeah. Not, no happiness <laughs> so i yeah i was trying to figure out what to do for the mindful nerd moment and i think what i want us to do today is try and help little brucey there with allowing the discomfort a little bit so I want us to imagine ourselves in, in his position where there's uh, the family arguing, um, his, his dad is kind of doing some things he shouldn't be doing, chatting up some ladies when he's supposed to be hanging out with his son, and just kind of feeling what that experience might be like, and practicing what they call cognitive diffusion. So cognitive diffusion is essentially what I was talking about with biting, getting bit by the dog. The next dog you come across, you want as best you can the, fe- the, the feelings that are naturally going to come to you out of concern based on the fact that you were bit the last time. Those things come naturally, and that in and of itself is, an, is not a problem. But it can feel so intense that we forget feelings are not facts. So just because we feel something strongly does not make it more true. It's kind of like what we want to do with, with cognitive diffusion. It, it, it's kind of like if you, if you put your hand in front of your face and it's like just a millimeter from your face. And when you do that, I mean, you can barely see anything other than your hand. And you can't even tell it's your hand. It's just like your vision's blocked. But if you can find a way to back your hand up, even if it's just a few inches, all of a sudden you can make the outline of your hand and you can see some of the stuff around your hand in the background. That's cognitive diffusion. Taking the situation, taking the feelings, taking the thoughts we experience, and just giving us a tiny bit of space so that we can recognize, okay, a feeling isn't necessarily a fact. Just because I think something doesn't mean it's necessarily true. And just giving a little bit of space so that we can feel things like fear and experience these things that are hard um, and, and, and have it feel more manageable. 
in the moment. So that's what I want us to, to try out. So what I'd like for you to do is just as usual, kind of sit comfy. And um, I'll, I'll ease you into it just to kind of help get you into the imagination station. <laughs> so uh, close your eyes if you're comfortable with that or just relax your eyes on no particular spot in the room. And just take a few deep breaths. Not worrying about a specific pace or rhythm to your breath. Letting it flow naturally. But just making sure that you fill your lungs all the way. Hold it for a second. And then release, exhale all of the air out of your lungs. And I'm going to ask us to do something that we don't normally do. And I'm going to ask us to think about something not so pleasant. Let's imagine we're little Bruce and we're playing with our toys and in the background, it's our parents arguing. They're fighting with each other. And just imagining what that might feel like in Bruce's body, what kind of feelings he might be having. Maybe exploring what kinds of worries he might have or thoughts running through his head. Just picturing what it might be like to be Bruce in that moment. And as you do so, we're going to practice just noticing. And I'd like for you to say to yourself, pretending you're Bruce, that you notice the things that you're experiencing. I notice I am having a feeling of, I am noticing that my body feels like, I'm noticing that I'm having a thought of. So for example, if Bruce in this moment is feeling alone, he would say to himself, I notice I'm having a feeling of being alone. If he was afraid that he was at fault for what his parents were arguing about, he would say, I notice I'm having a thought that my parents are fighting because of me. So just take a few more examples of how Bruce might feel in this moment with his parents arguing in the background and help him to create a little bit of distance, giving him just a little bit of space to feel and to think. I notice I'm having a thought of, I notice I'm having a feeling of. And now I'd like to welcome you just for the last few moments to think of Something that Bruce might experience in that moment that you may have experienced in the past few days. It could be a feeling. It could be a thought that he might have in that situation. And imagine sitting next to Bruce and both of you together practicing this. We notice that we're having a thought of. We notice that we're having a feeling of. And as we wrap up, tell your mind, thank you for the feedback. 
Thank you for this interesting thought. Thank you for this interesting feeling. Because we're acknowledging that your brain is trying to be helpful in what you think and what you feel. When you're ready, take a few deep breaths just to refocus yourself. And with a last deep inhale and pushing all the air out, exhaling it all so there's none left, open your eyes, refocus, and we'll, we'll wrap up the podcast. So what'd you think of this one? This one's a little bit more, probably a lot more targeted than, than a lot of the other ones we've done. It was, it was kind of difficult because it, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm not, it, it's, it's hard like making yourself think about what you don't want to yes right and so yeah Yeah, i think that Mm -hmm. was Mm -hmm. i think that was good like i walked away from it feeling better but going into it i was like oof, i don't want to think about that like that's i know i felt bad when you're like oh i'm looking forward to it It as a stressful thing i'm like well welcome to more stress oh good (laughs) good wow this is just like real life what is this i'm gonna go pay bills after this it's gonna be great (laughs) but that's the whole point right Right. it's just like real life exactly the whole mindfulness is supposed to feel relaxing during it can be nice and it, it can be one of the useful things about it but if that's the only take that that we use for mindfulness we're missing out on this whole other world because What helps us in the moment be able to be okay with the fact that we don't feel great are practices like this. I'll, um, you know, you you walk away from it and it's like, all right, well, I got two options. Either I can learn to cope or learn to deal or, as the comic says, I'll be damned. (laughs) Thanks for nerding out with us. I'm clinical psychologist Dr. Amelia Brown. You can find me at Crafting the Mind on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And I'm comic enthusiast and nerd aficionado Keaton Hopkins. You can find me and my friends' movie reviews and reaction videos at TeamJVS.com or on YouTube at TeamJVS. For more information on this and other topics, check out our website at bat-therapy.com. To keep current on episodes and other updates, subscribe to our Bat Therapy YouTube channel or follow us on social media. We'll see you next week. Same Bat time, same Bat channel.